Well, I hope you'll keep your Bibles open with me here in Habakkuk as we uh, spend time again as we continue our sermon series in the Book of Twelve, the series through the Minor Prophets. And today we come to an incredible uh, minor prophet, Habakkuk. Uh, I want to begin by giving us a little bit of orientation uh, in this book. It's, it's unique uh, among the prophets in some of the, the way it goes about the prophecy. It's, the book of Habakkuk was written to the southern kingdom of Judah. Habakkuk is written as the enemy of Israel, Assyria, is about to fall to a mighty new empire, Assyria. You remember Nineveh? Nineveh from our previous prophets, even last week with Jonah. Nineveh is the uh, capital of Assyria, but Assyria is about to fall to the mighty Babylonians, and the Babylonians would grow as a threat to the people of God in Judah and eventually conquer Judah and carry its kings and its peoples into exile. You might remember the Babylonians as the captors of Daniel. Remember the book of Daniel and the lion's den and all of that stuff that took place in Babylon. Or you might remember Babylon as the enemy who destroyed Jerusalem during the prophetic ministry of the prophet Jeremiah. Habakkuk is written as that great and fearsome empire Babylon is rising to power. <clears throat> The outline of Habakkuk is one of the most interesting outline in the Minor Prophets, the Book of Twelve. It comes in the form of two questions, or more accurately, two complaints that the prophet Habakkuk has before the Lord. And then the Lord answers the prophet Habakkuk two times. Then the Lord pronounces five woes, and then Habakkuk turns in chapter 3 And he closes the book with a prayer that is written in the form of a psalm. So there you go. There you have it. You have two complaints, two answers to the complaints, five pronouncements of woe, and then a psalm, a prayer. I found Habakkuk to be very intimate, a very human book. It deals with some of the most difficult questions that plague the human heart of any faithful man or woman who is followed after the Lord in the face of suffering, it, 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 it humanizes some of our most natural questions in the midst of tumultuous days and in the face of unrighteous peoples. So I hope that you find a friend in Habakkuk who asks the Lord some of your questions, and that we find a friend in the Lord who speaks the truth to his people Here's a a quote from one commentator about the book of Habakkuk. He says, Habakkuk is a book for all faithful people of whatever era who find themselves living in the, quote, in the meantime, in the time between the revelation of the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises, in the time between their redemption when God has made his purposes clear. I love that. When were you redeemed? As the Lord, it was the moment the Lord said so. That's when you were redeemed. You were redeemed when the Lord decided that he would work redemption. But we stand in the moment between redemption when God has made his purposes clear and the final time when that divine purpose will be realized in all the earth. As such, Habakkuk is a book from faith for faith. Two words, 
the same word, so important, faith. Habakkuk is written for a people who still to this day cry out in faith, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, in all the earth, as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer, a prayer that you have taught us to pray. And you didn't just teach us to pray it by giving us words to repeat. You've been, by your word, yes, by your spirit, by your divine providence in our lives, by your redemptive promise, by your performance of the gospel, and the ongoing hope applied to our hearts, you are teaching us to pray this prayer. Lord, we join Habakkuk in this prayer. We pray that you would tutor, that you would teach our heart this morning to be a people from faith, for faith, that we are attached to your promises, a people of redemption hope. Lord, thank you. We long for that redemption hope to be fully revealed in all of the earth that we would not only see it, we would not only cling to it, but we would take hold of the fullness of enjoyment of it as we see you execute your purposes in creation and redemption and glory. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your good name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's work our way through the outlines. Probably the best way to receive the book is to receive the book as it was written. We begin together in Habakkuk's first complaint. His first complaint is essentially this. Why is there no justice? Look at Habakkuk verses one through four. This is the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do, you look, why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. This isn't a question. It's an honest, heartfelt accusation, right? We see this numerous times in the scriptures. I would offer two psalms, and you could go just about anywhere and find it. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And you can pause on any of those words. And you know that moment. You know that cry. Friends, it is, the, the word is a gift, all right? It's not a crutch. It's truth. And it speaks my soul's words before the Lord. And sometimes when I, I'm at a loss, not for words, but whether or not I should say them, you know? The word gives me his words. And we say, how long? 
Oh, Lord. I think one of the most important words in all of the scriptures is a one-letter word, right? Oh. Don't skip it. It's not how long, oh, Lord. How long? Oh. Oh, Lord. Right? Psalm 74, verses 10 and 11. How long, oh, God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? I mean, is this, is this how it goes down? I'm looking, I'm seeing, I'm listening. Why do you hold back your hand? Your right hand. It's not saying God's right-handed, all right? This is the right hand of his power. It's the great right hand of the Lord that reached down into Egypt and crushed Pharaoh and his armies and dragged his son, Israel, out to him. Your right hand. I know what it can do. Where is it? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Just asking a question. Revelation 6, 9 through 10, the context is laid out here for us. When he, the Lord Jesus, who is the only one worthy to open the scroll and break its seals, right? I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. If anyone in all of Christian history has ever cried out how long, it's those who were crushed yet waiting the answer, how long? And here they are. They cried out with a loud voice, Oh, sovereign Lord. And they know it. I mean, they're in his presence. They are in the presence of the throne room of God. Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You know what that tells me? This isn't like a a consolation for the believer that we're like sort of allowed to ask this question. It, it is a right disposition for the one who waits for the Lord to cry out to the Lord for what we know is right from the Lord. These are the saints, the holy ones, crying out to the holy one. The writers of scriptures are often concerned with an interplay between two realities. That is, the reality of the fool who says in his heart, There is no God. They aren't crying out, How long? They waited five seconds. Jesus didn't come and crush him. And they're like, Yeah, right? There's nothing to worry about. There's no, there's no God. The fool who flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. It's an interplay between the fool who cries out and the open-eyed, clear-minded question in view of the pressing reality of injustice and iniquity that is surrounding us. How long? There is no God, says the fool. And the wise say, how long, O Lord? 
The Lord will bring justice down from heaven. But why has it not yet come? You see, the the question how long is both an accusation and a statement of faith. I know you're coming. I'm not the fool who says there is no God. But, But what does your holiness look like if you haven't come yet? Look again at Habakkuk's complaint, verse 2. Will you not hear? Will you not save? Verse 3. Why look idly at wrong? Like I, I'm not seeing the behaviors of a, of a holy God in this situation of wrong. There's, a, there's a also, as much as this is a faithful question to ask, there is a sort of agnostic doubt that plagues even the faithful. Right? There's a bit of an agnostic doubt that can creep in to this question. Verse 4, I think, is particularly helpful. Justice seems upside down. Instead of the law surrounding and putting an end to injustice, the righteous are surrounded, and justice is, what does it say? Perverted. It's crooked. It's twisted. It's upside down. You'll note that the Lord doesn't argue with Habakkuk's complaint. There is a certain reasonableness, a genuine righteous concern in the prophet's cry. But it's also the question from the perspective of a finite man. All right? A man living, faithful, knowing the holy, infinite God asks a question. He asks not because he doesn't believe, but because he cannot see. He can only see what is before him and what's before him. He says it over and over throughout the book. He sees wickedness. He can't yet see with his eyes what can only be seen by the eyes of faith. That is one of the most important summaries of this book that we could hear. He cannot see with his eyes what can only be seen with the eyes of faith. And so what does the Lord do? Well, he calls him a fool and tells him to shut up. Don't you know? Right? I mean, isn't that what we saw Jesus do all the way through Mark? Just seeing all these people coming to Jesus, having questions, and he says, what's wrong with you? Shut up and go home. No. He takes weak people, broken people, people with questions and people with suffering. He brings them to himself. They ask a question with just the slightest edge of faith, and he brings them to himself, and he draws them in close. He touches eyes. He lifts people up, and he brings them to a place of faith they didn't even know to ask for. That is what he does for Habakkuk. The Lord gives prophetic vision, an answer to the question, that the prophet was not prepared for. Let's see how this looks. The Lord's first answer. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Look among the nations. Wonder and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days. Who's doing it? I am doing a work, the Lord says, that you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians, 
that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Now there sounds like a righteous army, doesn't it? The Lord has seen iniquity of the people of Judah. He's seen it. You see, when Habakkuk is crying out that he sees wickedness and violence, he sees it among the people of Judah. He sees it among the people who have the law of the Lord. They're rejecting it. They're walking in idolatry and unfaithfulness. And and Habakkuk, who is among the faithful, is saying, Lord, do you not see what's going on around this place? Will you please clean up Judah? And the Lord says, yeah, I saw it. Look among the nations, and I've seen an army. I've seen the army of of the Babylonians, and that's how I'm going to clean up the mess that I see in Judah. Let's just say that this was not the answer Habakkuk was looking for, all right? Habakkuk is concerned for the violence and iniquity that he sees in Judah, and the answer is the Babylonians' justice. Habakkuk 1.9. Here's the Babylonians' justice. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. And that's exactly what they did when they came. The iniquity of Judah will be snuffed out, the Lord says, by the armies of a pagan land who themselves are, quote, guilty men whose might is their God. They're guilty men, they're idolaters, and their great idol is their own strength, their pride. How many kingdoms have we seen wiped out in the minor prophets because of pride? That's the Lord's army to bring justice in Judah. And that is not the answer Habakkuk was looking for. I think one of the most powerful applications of this first exchange between Habakkuk and the Lord is that there is an answer to the question, how long? You just may not be ready for it. The answer has a number has numbered the days of iniquity. The answer to the question, how long, there is a number, there is a day. That day is called the day of the Lord, and it is coming. I think that's one of the most important things for us to see. When we cry out, and we ought, how long, O Lord, he hears and he knows. And there's a day. He will put an end to the days of the, that the people of faith will suffer under destruction and violence that surrounds and indwells. The question, how long, is both secondly righteous and good. We've seen it. It's the expected question of a finite man. It's the kid in the back seat that just hasn't developed a sense of how long. And what do they say? How long, right? And my answer every single time is five more minutes. (laughs) And I feel like that's honestly the Lord's answer every single time. Like I know a year is a, is a, thousand, a, a, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. But for me, this car ride's taken forever, right? We have not developed a sense of how long because we're finite. We won't. We won't. And so we ask. The gift of the Lord, who is infinite and holy, is to call the righteous not only to righteousness, but to faith. The gift of the Lord is to call the righteous. I mean, Habakkuk is making a claim in his complaint. Violence is all around me, right? There's iniquity everywhere, but there is 
a people of righteousness, a people who are, who are seeking the Lord and, and, and call his way good and so walk in it. But the Lord doesn't leave them there. He doesn't call the righteous to righteousness. He calls Habakkuk to faith. The question, how long is good? But it's also true that we may not be prepared for the immediate answer. And so Habakkuk offers a second complaint. You know where he's going to go, right? You know where he's going to go. The wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Really? Habakkuk 1.12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, you, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he? I think something that's so important about Habakkuk's second complaint is his complaint is essentially a rehearsal of God's own revelation. He's entered into an argument with the Lord, with the Lord's own word. Man, that is not a bad argument. That is not a bad way to enter into a conversation with one that is higher than you. He enters into his complaint by remembering who the Lord is. Side note, application, something to go home with from this book. There are few books in Scripture that have more moment-by-moment, verse-by-verse statements about who God is. One of the best things that you could do is find a, for me, I like to use like a yellow pen or an orange pen when I'm highlighting something all about who God is. Go through and just like circle orange everywhere you discover in this book who God is. Habakkuk knows the Lord, and he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Purer eyes than to see evil. Aren't you, Lord? What am I missing about you? Because I, I clearly know you, but this, this doesn't seem right. What relation have I not given attention to? What have I failed to remember? He's, not, he's asking how long, not because he believes the Lord is unrighteous, but because he believes the Lord is righteous. His only surprise is that the Lord has not executed justice yet. Habakkuk's second complaint presses further into what he knows about the Lord. He's righteous, he's holy, he cannot look at wrong, and yet the Lord is going to use the Babylonians to execute justice. Surely the Lord has more to say. And so the prophet moves, and he takes his stand in the watchtower, and he waits for the Lord. That's a gift too, friends. He says what's true. Everything he knows. And he just starts spouting the reality of the truth of the character of God. Let me tell you, first of all, that is a very good way to pray. Just spout what you know to be true. Go and stand on the ground that you know is there, even if you, it feels like islands that are disconnected and not making sense right now. Go stand on that ground, and then verse, chapter 2, verse 1 I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. 
He said everything he knows, and then he goes to the watchtower and says, okay, what else? Because I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. Tell me more. That's a great way to end a prayer, all right? He's not done praying. He started watching. And then the Lord answers. Habakkuk has gone from a deep, anguished question of how long to a dazed and confused question, how can this be? What's needed? Habakkuk, along with all of those who wait upon the Lord, need revelation. And so Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Write the vision, the Lord says. You see, the Lord knows what he needs. He needs to hear from the Lord. And so the Lord speaks, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. What does that mean? Man, it is a banner. All right, it's one of those banners that you see people twirling on the street corner, except for this dude is running with it. And everybody's gonna see it, make it plain. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. I mean, there's a banner being held up. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming It hastens to its end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, I understand. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It will come on exactly in the moment that is appointed for it. It will come. The Lord is still the ruler over all the kingdoms and the refuge of all the faithful. His will will be done. His purpose will will be executed in all of the earth. And he's not afraid to say it in advance what his purposes and justice are because he says, you can banner this thing all over the place. It's sure no justice will be done. Habakkuk 2, 4. Behold, speaking of Babylon, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright before him. But the righteous, the righteous, shall live by his faith. This is one of the most important verses in Scripture, and we ought to take care to understand it. It's quoted or referenced three times in the New Testament and becomes a central word in our understanding of grace. The righteous shall live by his faith. There is something the verse does not say. I find this helpful to me when I run across something I know is really, really important, but I'm not sure that I've sort of teased out everything there is to know from it. I say what it doesn't say, what it clearly does not say. The the verse does not say the faithful will live because he is righteous, right? It does not say the faithful, the way that I'll know who the faithful are when when the armies are coming down the hill toward Jerusalem, and they're pounding upon the city, I'll know who the faithful are because I will keep a record of your righteousness. And man, those people, the righteous, are the ones that'll live, right? That's how I know who the faith people are. We've twisted the scriptures into a man-centered self-righteousness. How do you prove that you're faithful? How do you prove that you're the one who ought to live? How do you earn a spot in the refuge of the Lord? No, I believe. I believe there is a refuge in the Lord. And I will prove that one of those spots is mine by my righteousness. By that righteousness, I will live. 
You prove your righteousness, your faithfulness by your righteousness. We twist the word and, and turn it around and make it say, well, who are the righteous? Who are the righteous? Well, the verse says, the righteous are those who live. Well, who are those who live? Who are those who the Lord will both bless and keep? Who are those who the Lord will preserve in the day of trouble? Who will the Lord pass over in the day of judgment when the horse and its rider crash into the city? Is it not those who trust in the Lord for their rescue? You see, the Babylonians, they're the ones who are puffed up. It's the Babylonians whose soul is upside down. The righteous of those who are not puffed up. They live by faith, not by their own strength or even their own righteousness. They live because there is a rescuer and they trust in him. This is so important to get like the mental image in our mind. What Habakkuk has done, and we've skipped a bunch of verses that sort of really unpack it and give it a lot of flavor, especially in the the latter part of chapter 2, that help us visualize this this rider and its horse seething, pounding down. That everybody knows when the Babylonians do that, everybody dies. Babylonians with their horses, pounding down upon the city. Next step, everybody dies. He says, no, actually some live. And they, No, they don't. They all die. No, actually the Lord says some live. How in the world is that going to be? Trust me. I am the righteous judge. I don't look on and not see. I'm the refuge for my covenant people. Wait. Trust. You'll notice he doesn't take up arms, start working out, maybe trade some of your spices for some horses. You see, when the horses come down upon the city, there's nothing that they did to survive. What they did was they trusted in the Lord. And the Lord redeems according to his own purposes, according to his own ways. He blesses and he keeps. Jesus picks up on and answers really the same question. Jesus picks it up in Luke 18, verses 7 and 8. And will not God give justice to his elect? Man, it's a super important question. If you belong to the Lord, if he has called you, if he's named you, if you are his elect according to Jesus' own words, if you belong to him, will he not give justice, Jesus says, who cry to him day and night? What is the business of the elect? Self-righteousness, right? Preparation against the day of violence, right? No. What's the business? The business of the elect, the business of the people who have been called by the name of the Lord, cry out to him. He's told you take refuge. Take refuge. Day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What is he looking for? Righteous church, of course. Will he find faith? Will he find a people who have cried out, how long? 
Lord? Will you save us? Will you bless us? Will you keep us? Will you keep us in your righteousness? By your righteousness and in your good way, Lord? We're right to cry out to the Lord. We're right to join Habakkuk in all of his questions. And as we receive the Lord's answer, we are right to trust in the Lord. Where our eyes do not see and where our minds do not understand, we gain the sight that is provided by faith alone. There is no other sight than the sight that is provided by faith. Faith is the In the light of Revelation's answers to questions, we cannot answer with our own eyes and with our own reason. Faith becomes the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not yet seen. You see, faith is an eyeball. Faith is a capacity to see something that is actually real. Faith is not the ability to not see it and yet say, well, I believe it anyway. No, faith says, I see it. I know the character of the Lord and I believe him. Man, if there's anything in the planet that I believe, it's the creator and redeemer. I'm assured. I have a conviction to see what my eyes have not seen. I see it by faith. Faith takes hold of the glories and the person of heaven and drags that reality in the moment of calamity. He says, I can see it. I can see, I can see the horse and its rider right there coming really quick, going to die. <laughs> and I can see the Lord and his redemption. I know his character. My hope is in him. And then Habakkuk does one more thing in this book. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his prophet gives us an incredible gift. He gives us a song. He gives us a song. The remainder of chapter two is a list of five woes pronounced both upon Babylon and upon those who who fail to trust in the Lord. The Lord promises both that Babylon will be judged and then in chapter two, verse 14, the purpose of the Lord for Judah will not be thwarted. He yet has a people in Judah For himself, Daniel, Daniel is alive. He made his way to Babylon into exile, but the purposes of the Lord were not thwarted. And Daniel, then in chapter three, Habakkuk records a psalm for the righteous, those who live by faith. It's for those who have cried out to the Lord in the midst of the wickedness and in the midst of of the judgment of the Lord all around, that they might be strengthened in faith and so live. The psalm helps the community to work out that faith by which the Lord declares they would be saved. This psalm, friends, is a means of our salvation. The word works in the people of God to give us that faith by which we are saved. Chapter 3, verses 2 through seven. This passage is the Lord on the move, and he's bringing justice, and he's flashing with his hand 
and he has power and pestilence and plague are going before him. So we are assured by faith that the Lord is holy and he is just and he will bring an end to wickedness. That is one of the first confessions of our faith. Lord, I think you're actually holy. Now that's a problem for me, but I believe it. I think you're actually holy. Such a problem that Habakkuk in the second half of verse 2, he asks for mercy. Man, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. Remember mercy. Even as pestilence and plague and all manner of judgment goes before you. Then in verses 8 through 16, we have the Lord Habakkuk giving us words of what to do when we see that judgment all around. Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. It's like, the, it's like Habakkuk went back and said, how did I begin this psalm? Oh, that's right. There was violence and wickedness all about the people who were called by the name of the Lord, and I asked you to do something about it. You did. You sent Babylon. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed, You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. And then verse 16, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I'm terrified, but I know that's not the last note in the song. The people of faith are the people who wait upon the Lord, the pervasive theme of Habakkuk. Verses 17 through 19, we'll read these, look at it with me. What does he mean? What does he mean to wait quietly when his body is trembling and his lips are quivering, right? And rottenness enters into his bones. You know what that feels like? Like when you're you're so exhausted and you hear something frightening, that your exhaustion has a hard time like, holding you up. What do you do? What's that look like to be a person of faith in that terrifying moment? Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, that's terrifying for people who live on figs. Now the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, There be no herd in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I'll have food. I'll have some veggies. I'll have some meat from the pasture. I have a promise of refuge in the Lord, and that will become my food. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread on my high places to the choir master. Stringed instruments, please. Right? This is faith in action. Faith in action sounds like a psalm. The justice of the Lord is coming. Friends, that's the first thing that we need to know and go with from the book of Habakkuk. The justice of the Lord is coming. All those who know and believe the word of the Lord have questions about it. I'm thankful this morning that the deepest questions of my soul are the very questions that the Lord put into the lips of his prophets, inspired them so they were put just so well so that I can join him in them. 
They're not the light questions. They're not the easy questions that Habakkuk asks. They are the deepest questions. But he's not only, he, the Lord has not only given us answers, he's given us words for our questions. He's given us songs to sing. Friends, we need to know the Lord's justice is coming, and we're right to be situated in a place of the finite, asking the infinite questions. Second, it's the Lord's justice, not ours. Who would have dreamt of sending wicked Babylon as the just judgment upon the people of Judah? Nobody thinks of that. Not Habakkuk. Not all those who were fools and said there is no God. Our iniquity will never be found out and hated. And who would have dreamt of sending the righteous son of God to suffer the judgment due to sinners in the place of sinners? Who would have thought of it? Huh. A song that we sang just recently, we don't sing it often because it's not really a, a congregational song, but it's a congregational plea. So when I'm drowning out at sea, when your breakers and your waves crash down on me, I recall your safety scheme. You're the one who made the waves. And your son went out to suffer in my place and to tell me I'm safe. The psalmist says, why am I downcast? Oh, my soul. And why so in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That is the prayer of faith. I am in turmoil because there's calamity. But the Lord remains. I know what he's like. I know who he is, not just who he said he is. I've seen him be in our midst. I trust him. Faith. We live by trusting in the Lord. And friends, we have something far greater than a promise that the Lord will also wipe out the Babylonians. Do you remember I said we have a problem of injustice not only around us, but dwelling in us. We have seen the means of his absolute justice and destruction of our enemy, our own sin and unbelief. We have seen Jesus Christ made flesh and live in righteousness. And even in his righteousness, his own actual self-righteousness, Jesus' actual righteousness was by faith. At all moments, trusting in the word of the Father all the way to a cross where he would suffer my death, your death, my justice, your justice in our place so that all that remains for us is the life that he secured by his resurrection. That is something we can see with our eyes. We have evidence of, we can read and know the people who touched his scars, who saw him ascend into the heavens and we know he's reigning there where the saints say, how long until you return? And he's going to return. We live by trusting in the Lord. We trust that he will both judge. And so we cry out to him, Lord, forgive me. And he does. And we trust that he will save. Lord, praise your name. We can't end the message without reading Romans 1, 
16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It seems like foolishness. It seems dumb when the horses are crashing down the hill at your city or when the Lord tarries so long that you say there is no God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in Christ and his gospel, in the work that we have recounted about Jesus, for us, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. That was Habakkuk's question. I've heard about your righteousness. Can we see it, please? And just like the Babylonians were an absolute surprise, Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an absolute surprise. But now it's revealed. It's the mystery that has been made known. And what's it revealed for? From faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live. Man, that's good news. How, how, how? By faith. There is righteousness. It is the righteousness of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who has been revealed from heaven. We, the redeemed, live by faith in Christ and his gospel. What does righteousness look like? What does faith look like in the congregation? What does faith look like as we go to be the church that he has made us? A song. A people of rejoicing, of remembering, recounting together. We sing. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give to your church your psalm, give to your church, to your people called by your name, afforded refuge under your wing. Lord, give us your song. May we sing of our redemption. May we sing of our hope. May the noise of our song drown out the hoofbeats of the enemy so that we are not afraid, but in the midst of a rising song, we say the Lord is our refuge. The righteous will live by faith. For we have a righteousness that has been revealed. We know it. We know details about it that can fill up details and extra choruses and extra verses of our song. May our song rise and drown out our fear because the Lord is coming. And this is the day of our salvation. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would do this work in the midst of particular situations, in the midst of the people of God this morning. This message from Habakkuk lands so circumstantially in our lives. But I pray that in each case you would give the gift of faith by your word and your spirit at work among the people of God. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name and on the foundation of the gospel that you have secured for your people. Amen.